0: Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello King's Church. I want to say hi to everyone who's tuning in today. Um, whether you're in New Brunswick, or Nova Scotia, or PEI, or in Newfoundland, or wherever you are, if you're tuning in online somewhere in the world, Welcome to church today, and before we jump into today's message, can we just take a moment and just admire my surroundings? This is the great Nova Scotia woods, and I just thought, hey, you know what? It's Father's Day, so let's get out in the woods where dads want to be, and let's talk about Jesus and have a great time, and so here we are today, and dads, happy Father's Day. All right, now, if you're listening, if you could just do a favor for me, I'm going to get you to open your Bible, take your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're just going to park on a couple of verses today. Um, And I want to talk to you today about the theme or the topic of generosity. You see, if you've been tracking with us, we are in week nine of a 10-week series. Hard to believe we're almost done, right? Uh, We are almost there. And we've entitled this series, As for Me and My House. And let me just say, this has been a hard-hitting series. This has been one of those line-in-the-sand series. And as a church, we've been saying, hey, this is who we're going to be, and this is who we're not going to be. Uh, And what we've been doing has been laying foundations and talking about the basics and coming back to what it means to be a church that is completely and fully on Jesus. That we are going to be on his kingship, on his authority, on his word. We're going to be people of honor. We're going to be people of prayer and great faith. And today what I want to talk to you about is really the idea of generosity. And I want to talk to you today about kind of the atmosphere of the house. I feel like we've been building the house over the last nine to 10 weeks. We've been putting the foundations in and, and now we've started to place some walls up and we're starting to kind of decorate the interior. And what I want to talk to you about today is really the economy of the house. What's economy, you say? Well, a simple definition for us today is this. An economy is the arrangement and mode of operation, It's the arrangement and mode of operation. Every house has an economy. Whether you know it or not, there's an economy in your house. There's an economy in my house. There's one in our city. There's an economy in our nation. And when you open the Gospels and you see Jesus come and he declares his kingdom, one of the things that we find is that the kingdom itself has an economy. And that economy is based upon two things. Love and radical generosity. And so today, what I want to do is reestablish this for us, okay? As for me and my house, we are radically generous. Can you say that with me? Say it with me, all right? Say it out loud. You ready? As for me and my house, we are radically generous, all right? Now, if I had a secondary title for today's message, it it would simply be invest in God. Now, this idea of generosity, when we talk about generosity, really... It covers a huge scope of our lives. And the most obvious thing that it covers is generosity involves giving. It involves not only giving, but it also involves receiving. Uh, As we talk about generosity, this is gonna cover, this is gonna cover. Things that we own or things that we think we own. Uh, this is going to cover things like stewardship and simplicity and, and our values and our priorities. Uh, when we talk about generosity, we talk about wealth and poverty. And yes, I know your favorite. We talk about your money. <laughs> Everyone's favorite topic. Now, before we go on and before you tune out, before you just check out and say, oh, here's the church talking about the money again. Listen, we have to talk about this as we talk about generosity today. But let me just say this, okay? I am not interested today... And talking about what you have and what you don't have. I'm not really interested in knowing what's in your bank account or how big your house is or whether it's right or wrong. You see I think there's a lot of confusion especially in the church today when it comes to some of these issues and my guess is is that no matter who you are at some point in your life you've been taught something about wealth and poverty and tithing and all of it and how it relates to Jesus and Christianity and those are important topics don't get me wrong But I'm not really interested today in counting another man's pocket, if I can say it that way. All right. But if I can be so bold, let me say this. When I read the Gospels, I'm not certain Jesus is either. You see, because when I look at the Gospels, what I find is, is that Jesus doesn't seem overly concerned with what we have. He's not concerned with what we have. However, he is concerned with what we do with what we have. Does that make sense? He's concerned with what we do with what we have. He's actually more concerned with how we invest our resources, not the resources themselves. And if you've been walking with Jesus, maybe you're new to walking with Jesus, this is a huge perspective shift because you're you're meeting a person who doesn't really care so much how deep your pockets are. However, he is concerned with how deep your heart is. You see, in the kingdom economy, um, it's possible to have deep pockets, but a shallow heart. Likewise, it's possible to have shallow pockets, but have a deep heart. And this is a very critical thing. Before we launch into this text and we look at this today, it's very critical that we understand this. That the economy of the kingdom of God, the one that Jesus comes and he produces in us, is not one that is predicated by Wall Street. It's not predicated by NASDAQ or what the value of Bitcoin is right now. That's not what it is. The economy of the kingdom is actually an economy of the heart. So when we make this bold statement today and say, hey, you know, as for me and my house, we are radically generous. This is more than just simply saying, hey, when we have enough, or we have more than we need, we're just going to go give it away when we feel like it. And though that is part of being generous, but that's only part of the conversation. So as we say the statement today, I think it means that we become a community of people who willfully and voluntarily examine our motives constantly as it relates to our stuff and our possessions, as it relates to Jesus and the call of his kingdom. And let me just say, I don't really think we do a good job at this. Like, I know I don't do a good job at this. In fact, when, we start, when I start talking about my resources or start, start talking about my stuff, I find that I get really defensive And one of the reasons why we get so defensive is, is I think that we have this idea that our stuff, our resources, whatever they are, time, talent, and treasure are things that we feel that we can protect the most. But I beg to differ today. You know, it's interesting this past week, I was reading an article that 90% of our consumer habits are subconscious, meaning we just don't really think about our money. We don't really think about what we do with our money. Um, In fact, we just have this sort of mentality in our day. It's like, I see it, I like it, I buy it, it makes me feel good. And that's kind of the rhythm that we live. And it's really easy to do this. Like, honestly, right now, I'm not suggesting that you do this, but right now, literally, we could take our cell phones out and in two clicks of a button, we can buy something online and in two days, it would show up at our doorstep. That is if you have Amazon Prime, of course, right? But it's just super easy to do this and we don't think anything of it at all. And what I'm trying to say, my point is simply this. We can't be naive to the reality that there are some powerful forces out there that want to rule your heart and my heart. And I think one of the biggest forces that we come up against, even as Christians, is the power of materialism and greed. Like we live in a culture that celebrates this and actually encourages it. And everywhere you look, there are just items and Ads and all sorts of things screaming at us, invest in us, invest in us. Because if you do, then we promise you happiness and security and luxury and maybe popularity. My friends, this is the advertising world of our day. And let me just say, advertising has gotten way more sophisticated, has it not? Does anyone ever out there think that your phone's listening to you? Like for real? Like the other day, um, honestly, we had two hot days in Nova Scotia here and immediately my wife were like, oh my goodness, we need a heat pump. And so I made one phone call to a heat pump company to get a quote. And I promise you, ever since then, everywhere I look, there's ads for heat pumps all over my social media, all over Facebook. It's like my phone hears what I'm like doing. All right. Does anyone else have that? I mean, it's crazy to think about. And don't be too naive to think that these, these forces are very powerful. And that we are inundated with lots and lots of advertising and things that just wanted to lure us into a place of giving our hearts to it and suggesting that we can find happiness and security in life. I, I read another statistic that I thought was really fascinating this past week. You know, by the time we turn 85 years old, we will see the equivalent of about six years of advertising in our life. My point is, is that, hey, there are powerful forces that are working against investing our lives into the places we really need to invest into. And let me say this again. Once again, Jesus isn't necessarily concerned with what you have. This doesn't mean like, hey, we just get rid of everything in our life and we can't do anything in our life and we can't have stuff. Jesus isn't concerned with what you have. He is concerned with what you do with what you have. And the question I think Jesus really wants to get at today, and the one I really want to, I want to, I want to suggest to us today is simply this, what are you investing your heart into? Like for real, where is your heart invested? Because how we answer that question really will determine if we're generous or not. And in Matthew chapter six, Jesus brilliantly lays this out for us. And what I want to do for you today is I just want to do a little bit of teaching through Matthew chapter six, if I can. And then I want to give you three perspective changes that will help you invest in the right place, but then also to stay invested in that place. All right. But let's start with Jesus first. Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Jesus says this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you hear that? Okay, now now Jesus in this scene is is, is speaking to a large crowd of people. And this, this teaching is part of a greater section of teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount really is the manifest is, is Jesus' manifesto for life. Like if you want to know what Jesus cares about, you want to know what his heart is, you want to know what Jesus is going to invest in, you want to know what Jesus' expectations are if you're going to follow him, read the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, if Jesus were here today and he would say, Hey, as for me and my kingdom, he would just say the Sermon on the Mount right afterwards. That because this is exactly his heart, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and as we discover, he talks about all sorts of issues. He talks about anger. He talks about relationships. He talks about marriage. He talks about loving your enemies, all this sorts of stuff. But as we get towards the end of this talk, Jesus turns his, our attention to where you ought to invest your lives and I think what he says here is really profound. And we just read this. But the first thing I want you to notice in the text is this. Notice what Jesus says in the very first line. He says, Do not store up yourself, for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, some scholars say it, it's better translated this way. Let me say it this way. Stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do you hear that? There's a difference. There's a subtle difference in this. And basically, th- what this means is that Jesus here... Is it, this is less of a hypothetical warning and more of a command to his disciples to just stop. Like stop investing your treasures in earth and stop doing this so you can start doing something else. And the command comes around this idea of treasures in heaven or in, in earth. Now, a treasure, what is a treasure? Well, a treasure, treasures are things that we keep because of the value that we place on them. And really this concept of treasure is, is, is part of human nature. Um, even a, an infant or a newborn has the concept of a treasure. Like I, I was thinking about it this past week, my daughter, Isla, who's almost one and a half this week, she was coming down the hall and she had her little stuffy, a rabbit, and she had her blanket and she just was hanging on to it with a big smile on her face. And what was she doing? She was treasuring her stuff. It's part of the human heart to treasure things. But notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you can treasure things, but don't treasure the stuff on the earth. Now, what is he talking about? What are these treasures on earth? These are the tangible or intangible things of life that are finite. Okay, and the most obvious of these things is money. That's the obvious example. Uh, A close second would be your possessions. But I think this is much deeper than those things. I think this actually includes certain types of relationships, or reputations or careers or trends. It's anything that is finite. And if you're asking yourself the question today, like I did this week, "What is it that I actually treasure?" Uh, Dallas Willard actually kind of gives us a simple filter for this. This is what he says. He says, "We reveal what our treasure treasures are by what we try to secure, protect." Or keep, And what Jesus is saying is, hey, stop storing up treasures, the treasures of earth. And he gives a reason why. He says, the reason you don't do this is because they're actually going to be destroyed. Over time, they're going to erode. Or they'll be destroyed by vermin or moss, or they'll be stolen by thieves. He says, don't do this. They're going to be destroyed. The Greek word for destroyed here, by the way, literally means to make something disappear. So Jesus isn't saying, "Hey, this is just going to be damaged and you're just going to have to coddle it along." You know, he's saying it is actually going to cease to exist in your life. In fact, when you when you when you store treasures on earth, when you give your affection and invest on these things, when you place your heart on these things, your treasures are actually doomed. That's what he's saying. And so many of you're like, "Man, that means I can't like my boat and all that." No, that's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is actually trying to help us get our place in the place, get get ourselves in a place to focus on where we need a treasure. And so Jesus then gives us the alternative. And so he says this, he says, so store up yourselves treasures in heaven, in heaven, not on earth, but in heaven. Now, this phrase is a little bit tricky for us here. And if you grew up in church at all, uh, this idea of treasures in heaven is kind of like like we would think it's some some sort of platitude. Like it's used to describe the outcome of thankless good deeds. Like uh I think about growing up in the church as a pastor's kid and I got all the things, I was assigned all the things that no one else wanted to do. Like I had to mow the lawns, I had to stack the chairs. And of course, you you know what I'm talking about. Like you're stacking chairs and you're like, man, this just really stinks. But hey, treasures in heaven, right? Um But that's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. You see, treasures in heaven is not some sort of reward in the afterlife. But actually what Jesus is talking about is that the reward that we have for treasures in heaven can happen right now. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, he says, as with our references to heaven and earth, we shouldn't imagine, he means, don't worry about this life, get ready for the next one. Heaven here is where God is right now. And where if you learn to love and serve God right now, then you will find treasures in the present and not just in the future. I love that. I love what N.T. Wright says there. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, this isn't, this isn't about future reward. This is actually about experiencing the blessing and the treasures of, of God right now in our life. In fact, the word heaven here in the book of Matthew is often synonymous with the word God. So in many ways, Jesus what Jesus is saying, he's like, make your investment, store up your treasures In God. Store up your treasures in God. And what does that mean? It means make eternal investments in the here and now. And then he gives the reason why. He says, because if you do that, they won't be destroyed. They're not going to be doomed. They're not going to disappear. In fact, I would dare say that our eternal investments today will probably outlive us. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he closes, of course, with a very famous statement. Many of you already know this, but he says, for where your treasure is, There your heart will also be. You know, another way to render this statement might be this way. The way you spend your money reveals what is most important to you. Or, if you like to know the true character of a person, look at their bank statement. And what Jesus is doing in this passage, he's really pitting these two values against each other. He's putting them before us and he's saying, hey, there is going to be this lure to value the things of earth. But then there is a call to value the things of God. And I would argue that Jesus is actually doing this on purpose. And the reason he is, is because both of these things cannot exist in the human heart at the same time. What is he saying? He's saying you can't have two value systems. You cannot be in the fence. You're either going to, you're either going to put your value on the things of earth, or you're going to put your value in the things of God. And this isn't all. Jesus actually presses a lot deeper into the human heart. Just look at the next verse. He goes on to say this. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Now, okay, you're like, okay, Jesus has just moved on to a completely different subject, but actually he has not. See, Jesus here is speaking in some some cultural idioms that we wouldn't understand today. But when Jesus talks about having a healthy eye, in Jesus's day, that referred to someone who was stingy or jealous or envious, but a person with a healthy eye was someone who was generous. Let me put it in today's terms. Maybe we might say it this way. Maybe say it a little bit differently. If you are tight-fisted, your soul begins to shrivel. But when you are open-handed, your soul will be vibrant. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you can't be tight-fisted and open-handed at the same time. But this even goes a little bit deeper. What Jesus is actually implying here is that those who are open-handed, when you see open-handed people that's actually a symbol and a sign that they are part of the kingdom of God. How cool is that? And if you think Jesus is done, he's not. He actually presses even deeper and he gets really to the core of our hearts. He gets right to the the battleground of our hearts. Look at verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. There it is. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, You cannot serve both God and money. Do you hear that? He puts it right out there. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is a really chilling statement if you think about it. Because Jesus isn't just saying, hey, money is a powerful entity. He's saying it's so powerful that it can be God-like. Isn't that crazy? That money, because of its power, can act and pretend to be like God. And what Jesus is saying here is you can't serve you can't serve two masters. You have to serve one or the or the other. In fact, it's impossible to be a Christian and yet still be serving money at the same time because both of them have two separate agendas altogether. And there's more to be said about this, but I just want you to see what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're either going to be one or the other. You're going to serve God, you're going to serve money. You're going to be open-handed or you're going to be tight-fisted. You're either going to store up treasures on earth or you're going to store up treasures in heaven. You just cannot do this at the same time. You're going to be, it's going to be one or the other. You're going to be in or you're going to be out. And all of this is determined at the level of your heart and where you invest your heart. And so the question really for us today is where are you making your investment? Where where are you investing your heart? And how do you invest your heart? How do you invest in God? And maybe even a better question for us today is this. How do we maintain that right investment in a world that is so powerful that is wanting us to invest in other things instead? What do I want to do for us today, just to close our time, I'm not going to be much longer is I have really three perspectives that I think will help us. These are practical, and I think these will help us as a church to stay invested into the things of God. Here's the first thing I want you to know. You can write these down if you'd like. Number one, treat everything you have in your life as a gift. Treat everything in your life as a gift. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Do you hear that? Our God gives us gifts. Everything that he gives us is a gift. And when everything is a gift, when you look at everything as a gift in your life, doesn't that change your perspective? Why does it change your perspective? Because a gift implies that you have to receive it and that it has been given to you, which means it it doesn't originate with me. And, and, and I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, and and what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that it's not that we can't own anything or that we can't have nice things. In fact, I would dare say if you're listening right now in the US or Canada or, or some Western uh, country, uh, we have a lot of nice things. And some of you might say, well, I don't have nice things. If you have a car, you have nice things. Compared to other places in the world, we have nice stuff. If you have a TV... If you have a computer, if you're watching right now from a computer, trust me, you have nice stuff. But let me say this, just because you legally own something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's ours. And that is the difference of the mindset of those who are disciples and followers of the kingdom. The kingdom economy says, you know what? Everything that has been given into me in my life is a gift. Everything belongs to God. The money I have in my life, it's a gift from God. The possessions I have in my life, they're a gift from God. My time is a gift from God. Did you know that? Your time is a gift from God. Why? Because it doesn't originate with us. Why do, why do, we, why do we at the end of the day, you know, maybe with our family, I know I do this with my kids every day at the end of the day, we, we stop and we pray and we thank God for the day. Why do we do that? Because today is the day the Lord has made. And will we, will we rejoice and be glad in it? why because it didn't originate with us it was a gift. it was given to us. everything in our life is a gift. your relationships are a gift. The things that you are good at, your strengths are a good gift. you know what Someone needs to hear this today. you are a gift. do you realize that? God has put you here so that you can be part of the mission of contributing to the thriving and the sustaining of the earth this is this is the original purpose of your of our humanity and why we've been put here in the first place to cultivate and sustain the earth. You are a gift. Everything is a gift. That's the first perspective. And the second perspective I want to give you is very close to the first one. Remember everything, treat everything as a gift. But here's the second one. Every gift that God gives you has a built in expectation of generosity. Let me say that again. Every gift that God gives you, your time Your talent, your treasure, your money, everything has a built-in expectation of generosity. You see, God's concern in giving to you is not so that you would just have, all right? His major concern is that you you would replicate him and do what he does. And what does God do? All through the scriptures, we have a vision of a God who gives. He gives to you. So our job is to actually give it away. And I know that there's some tension when it comes to, to having and giving and how we ought to do that. But I love what Gregory Boyd says. He says this about kingdom economics. He says, and I think this is a good principle for us today. He says, receive blessings without any guilt and share blessings without any reservations. Isn't that good? He says, receive blessings without any guilt, but share blessings without any reservations why because every gift that you've ever been given there is a built-in expectation of generosity third perspective today and i'm going to be done in just a moment here's the third perspective and this is really very important so listen closely when you give what god has given you he will replace it how cool is that and when god replaces it he often replaces it with much more than what you gave in the first place i have seen this time and time again with the people of God. In fact, this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter six, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. There's the principle. He goes on to say, but it will come at a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured out into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What's, What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, hey, when you give, I'm gonna replace it and I will replace it with, so much more than what you gave in the first place. Listen, I say, I will say it. We say this all the time, but you need to hear it again today. You cannot outgive God. This is this is what happens when Jesus feeds the five thousand. Remember that story? What happens? The disciples come to him with the with the fishes and the loaves. And what do they do? They give it to Jesus first. They give all that they had to him. And then what does Jesus do? He takes it, he blesses it, and then he just Gives it away? No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He actually puts it back in the hands of the disciples. And then the disciples give. See, what happens is when you give to God, God will often bless what you give. And then he'll return it to you in your hands, not to hang on to, but to actually give it away. And when they gave it away, what happens? Abundance overflowing. Probably one of the most missed parts of this whole story is that all of these guys go home with a Full basket of food. I mean, how cool is that? But my friends, this is kingdom economics. And I hope you see the cycle of this for those who have heart who, who invest their hearts in God. You know, hear the, the cycle. We receive from God and then we give it away. We receive again from God and then we give it away again. We get blessed so that we can bless. We are faithful with a little so that we can become faithful with much. And again, when we do this, what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6 is that we will have blessing, we will have reward, not in the future, but right now, where God is. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says this, he says, The treasure we have in heaven is very much available to us now. We can and should draw upon it as needed, for it is nothing less than God himself and the wonderful society of his kingdom interwoven into my life. What is most valuable for any human being without regard to an afterlife is to be part of this marvelous reality, God's kingdom now. Now listen to this. If I had to choose between good credit with a bank and good credit with God, I would not hesitate. By all means, let the bank go. So let me ask you again. Where's your investment? Where is your treasure? Is your treasure in the, in the world or is it in God? And I know that for some of you, many of you, 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 have, you have tested God in this area of your life. You've actually invested in God and God has proven to be true. But there's some of you who might be listening today and say, hey, how do I do this? Where do I begin? And I, this is what I believe, just my opinion. I believe the best place to begin to invest in God, honestly, is through tithing. And what's, some of you might say, what's a tithe? Well, a tithe is giving a portion of your income back to God. And, 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 let me, and some of you might be saying, well, why, why does God need my money? God doesn't need your money. See, see tithing is less about God as it is for ourselves. Um, and, and this is what tithing has done for me. I'll just be honest with you. Two things, two things that tithing does for me. Number one, it, help, it helps regulate my heart. Whether I give weekly or bi-weekly or annually, I don't think that really matters at all. But what it does is when I give to God, it helps keep my heart free. And the more I give to God, the more I tithe, the more I make this a habit of my life, the more freedom my heart has over time. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And here's why. When, When I feel that I can give to God and be generous to God, then I can be generous to everybody else. And I've noticed over the years, I'm... 37 years old this year and I've was taught to give my tithe back to God as a young age and I can tell you I have become more generous just in general in life and it all started with tithing the second reason I tithe is this it is a statement of who my Lord is it's a statement of who my Lord is What, what I say when I when I'm tithing is God is my master money is not my master that God is my provider Money is not my. Money is not. God is the one who sustained me. My bank account is not. God is the one who saves me. My money does not. You see, I tithe because God has given everything back to me in the person of Jesus Christ. God has withdrawn everything out of heaven in Jesus and he has given it to us. And Jesus, as the Bible describes him as, is a gift from God. He is a free gift that God gives to us. He has everything that we need for our happiness and our sustenance and everything for life. He is more than enough. But you see, when you invest in money, when you serve money, we still live in fear. And one thing I know to be true is that our fears always outrun our money. That's why we always want more of it. Because it never really fully satisfies our hearts the way God is supposed to satisfy our hearts in Jesus. And thus, the slavish cycle continues. There's never enough. I always need more but when we lose everything in Jesus hear me on this when we lose everything in Jesus who gives everything our hearts need and then some you become free to do anything church like that's why <laughs> that's why we can give a million dollars over 7 years to our region no strings attached why it's cuz we're free Because our treasure is in God. We invest in God and not into our bank account. And really, this is the invitation of Jesus today. And maybe for some, this is a re-invitation of Jesus. Albeit, it can be frightening. It's not lucrative. It's not promising of safety and security. But you find so much when you invest in God. What you find is you find God himself. You know God and God knows you. And so let me just say it one more time for everybody in the house today. As for me and my house, we are radically generous. We are going to be a church that invests in God. Let me pray for us today as we close. Jesus, we thank you for the abundant life that you have given us in every regard. Everything that we need physically, everything we need emotionally. Everything that we need spiritually, relationally, everything in our life, God, has been a gift from you, so God, I pray that today you would reorder our hearts around the things of heaven, that we would hear your command, as you said it to the disciples of of that day, would we hear it fresh and anew today to stop investing in the things of earth that are that are bound to be doomed and to disappear, but God we choose once again to invest in God, to invest in eternity today, whether it's with tithe, whether it's just giving to the poor, whether it's generosity or living a life of simplicity, whatever it is, God, we choose today to invest in you. Thank you, God, that your return is great and that we can experience your life in the here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.